This is Channel 253. In this episode of Citizen Tacoma. If we make it illegal to camp in any place, whether we, you know, say only around parks or only around schools or some some version of it, the only mechanism to enforce a law in our city is the police. Yeah. And so we have continually said that we would like to work with our homeless population in a different way. And if we pass this camping ban, we don't have options. Did you know Channel 253 is member supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Happy holidays. This is Citizen Tacoma, and I am your host, Eric Hanberg. We are checking in with council member Christina Walker on uh, a lot of council action that's been happening over these last two weeks. Uh, So we're going to talk about home in Tacoma, a new police chief, uh, camping bans, climate action, transportation. Uh, Stick around, um, and we'll get to the interview. Welcome back to another episode of Citizen Tacoma. My guest today is Council member, Tacoma City Council Member Christina Walker. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me it's in good. person. It's, yeah, it's good to have you back. And so as you exciting. said, in the studio. <laughs> um, we are recording this on Friday, December 10th, a few days after uh, like one of the biggest city council meetings that I can think of, um, which inspired our conversation. Like, what happened? Because... There was at least four different big things. There was uh, Home in Tacoma passed, right? It did pass. Yep. Um, phase one. Phase one. Okay, so we yep. can talk about what that means. Uh, there was a big debate about a camping ban in Tacoma, yes or no. Um, we appointed a new police chief in Tacoma, and we passed a climate action plan. Um, yeah. And this coming on, off the heels of three or four very big meetings before that. So. Right. <laughs> it's been so a busy fall. A busy fall, all culminating in this one really big meeting. And I was hoping you could um, walk the listeners through it and me. Yeah. Because I, I, I don't know a lot of what ended up happening, especially yeah. with Home and Tacoma. Maybe we should start there because uh, for the listeners, it's been this really big plan. I've gotten mailers. I've gotten emails. Like it's been this really big thing. And then there were like a bunch of amendments, and I never quite understood what each of them did. So let's start with this question: As a basic level, what did what what did the law pass that you implemented on Tuesday night? What did what did you do? Yeah. So Home in Tacoma um, is a, a planning uh, process, and eventually will be part of our um, city code. Um, so, and, and I actually brought my post-it that's been on my wall for 14 months. Home in Tacoma's purpose is to diversify housing types and to improve affordability tools. So I really, I put that on my wall because I wanted to stay focused on what we were really talking about. Because as you mentioned, 
through the process, we've changed um, pieces of this. We've had amendments. We've had public processes. We've had um, different timelines. We slowed down the timeline mid-process. So it's it's been a long time coming. The heavy lift has really been the planning staff. Um, but ultimately, what we passed on Tuesday is Home and Tacoma Phase 1, which the biggest piece um, that is really of public interest is this new map. Um, and it is our intention to change the zoning. The, the actual official zoning will change in phase two. Uh, that's when we'll change the code. But the map shows, um, number one, we did away with single family zoning. We're one of very few cities in the country to do that. That's a huge deal. So instead of single family zoning, now we have low scale zoning. So we are no longer dictating who lives in a structure, right? That was sort of silly to begin with, and it created all sorts of problems. Um, but now you can have a duplex or a triplex as long as the scale of it fits in what we're calling low scale. Um, then we have a category— do, b- Before we get yeah. too far on that, yeah, is that what passed? Yes. So you said you're not changing the zoning until phase two, but that sounds like— so, so I just want to make sure I know. So, so already the, cur- the, the new law is triplexes and duplexes allowed— Pretty much everywhere. Yeah, so good point. The so we we passed our intention to do that. The actual zoning will go into effect with the next phase. So you can't tear down your house tomorrow and build a duplex. Darn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, But it did update some of our um, codes that make it easier to build. What was already allowed was accessory dwelling units. Um, So it did. There are a few provisions in there that that update that. Um, And so in in all of there are many actual maybe this is getting uh, off on a little bit of a tangent, but there are many places in the city that there are still spaces where you can build triplex, duplexes, uh, apartment complexes. These things are, are happening right now. And as you know, just from walking you know, around, being yeah. around the city, is that these things are happening. So this doesn't pause anything or stop anything. It just says, okay, the next step we want to make is this. All single-family zoning, which was more than 70% of our city, was, was reserved for right. single-family only. So now that is low-scale. And we also added this category called mid-scale, and some people talk about the missing middle. So this is um, three- to four-story buildings. This could also um, include uh, a triplex that, that um, wanted to go a little higher or something like that. Um, this was the most controversial piece of the plan. This is where all, most of the amendments um, landed was in this mid-scale. So the the uh, proposal from the Planning Commission had over 30% of our city was mid-scale. What we passed on Tuesday was about 17% mid-scale. It focuses, <clears throat> excuse me, it focuses on transit corridors. It focuses around um, existing um, mixed-use centers. It's intended to be kind of the step down from the bigger buildings, the the multifamily uh, apartment complexes. Is, you know. is Proctor Station the multifamily that yes. you're talking about? So yep. then there's a smaller scale that might exist that surrounds that. around that. Yep. So yep. that if you're walking, if you're walking into Proctor in a mm-hmm. hypothetical future, mm-hmm. you would be walking through a neighborhood of single-family homes, some duplexes, some triplexes, and then as you mm-hmm. got closer, you'd be in this mid-scale, and then as you got into Proctor, there would be the Proctor station. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, And so we did, uh, as I said, many of the amendments that came forward were tweaking or adjusting that mid-scale piece. Um, Primarily, those were district reps taking a look at very specific um, 
conditions on the ground in their district and saying, well, this road, while it, it fit into what the, the planning staff and the planning commission put forward, really, in reality, it's the one next to it that makes more sense. Like, for mm-hmm. example, in, in District 4 in Catherine Ushka's district, um, it, the, there's a weird jog in the um, Yakima and Thompson, yep. and the bus actually goes down Thompson. So we moved the mid-scale over to Thompson rather than keep it on Yakima where it heads into the school. So tweaks like that that I I um, I trust the district reps to tell me what they need in their district ultimately, and that's why I voted to support all of those. They also didn't take away from the mid-scale, and I think that was a really important part of this is we need to imp- increase the amount of density we're able to build in the city. Um, so there were a couple amendments that reduced um, across the city a huge amount of density, and I voted against those. Um, I think the density piece is really important. We are getting a little bit less uh, density than what the Planning Commission initially put forward, but this is a huge, huge step in the right direction. And we also um, did a couple clarifying amendments uh, that say we're going to work through this in phase two on the ground, and if we start working through the details of a particular neighborhood and it really doesn't make sense what we did, we can come back at the end of phase two when we actually approve the, and put into place the zoning, we can make those tweaks through the process. So I do, I guess I still want to just clarify, maybe I'm just just not quite getting it. Phase one, phase two. Mm-hmm. Phase one was approved. Mm-hmm. And it says this is where we're going. Yep. It doesn't change anything in terms of reducing anything. But actually being able to put a duplex in a street right now that is R1 or on a neighborhood that's R1, we'll still have to wait until phase two. Yep. What's the, is the, is that like, are you, is the council like rolling up their sleeves to work on that next? Or is that like, yep. we'll get to Absolutely. it in a couple years? No, tomorrow, yesterday. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, January, 2022, we'll get to work. Um, we haven't quite figured out that I know of um, whether that work will be done through committee or through um, the full council. And so I, I, I still am, we don't have the, the complete process, but what planning staff has told us is, is that it is a 12 to 15, 12 to 18 month process. Um, we had been really pushing for that to be a year because, as you know, these projects don't happen in a day. Right. right? So when we're trying to add density because we need 10,000 more units of housing, getting started tomorrow is really important. Right. To get, right. see that come to fruition in a couple of years. So we're going to push hard on the process. Um, but we have a transition with new council members. We have, you know, many other things on our plate. Um, this is uh, again, it, it's a huge lift for planning staff, and they've done a ton of work. Um, but yeah, we're we're ready to go. We are not going to miss a beat, and we also through this process, we continue to say and assure the public that there's public process in this next phase throughout. Our intention is not to re-debate the map, but our intention is to say what are the design standards, what is the um, you know specifics around density and development. Um, agreements, you know, what are we asking of homeowners who are developing on their own property? What are we asking of developers? You know, all those those details that are really important to what you see in your own neighborhood, yeah. those are the pieces that are part of phase two. So it's not going to be easy work. It's going to be going to be tough work. But the intention is the next step, not to rehash what we already did. Yeah. So uh, I used to live halfway between stadium and downtown, kind of, and mm-hmm. we would take walks 
through, I guess you'd call it the North Slope, but I just loved that mix of very small apartment buildings, houses that had been converted to duplexes or triplexes, plus just some beautiful single-family homes. Mm-hmm. Um, it just was a really great neighborhood to walk through, and I, yeah. I love that that vibe. And that area, in my opinion, is one of the best examples of how these things can coexist, how these yeah. different housing types can coexist and have opportunities for everybody. I mean, we're, we're really trying to um, create opportunities for housing for everybody. So there should be a low-income option in any neighborhood of the city. And I think that that's a place where we've gotten it right and that it that it works. Yeah. Is there anything else to say about Home in Tacoma? Well, I think two other things I would just add is that Home in Tacoma, while it is the big tool around housing and zoning, it is not the only tool. We also did a ton of work this year, and we will pass next week the um, multifamily tax exemption changes. Um, Two things we did with that. One is to um, expand the 12-year multifamily tax exemption, and the 12-year is the one that includes an affordable housing requirement. The state also added the 20-year, so we incorporated that into our um, this code change that would will happen next week if it passes. Um, and then we also eliminated the eight-year, which does not have an affordability requirement, in very high opportunity zones, so places that are already very well developed. So uh, that right now in the city, that's just two places. That's Proctor and Point Ruston, which are largely built out yeah. um, and projects uh, have some affordable elements um, in them. And uh, it doesn't mean you can't take advantage of the the 12 or the 20 year, but if you're going to develop in those areas, we want you to include some affordable housing. That makes sense. Yeah. So that uh, will come forward. That was a huge uh, part of work that we, our body of work that we did this year. And then there's also a resolution that I put forward a couple weeks ago that passed, um, which is a intended to be an anti-displacement uh, community prioritization resolution that states our intention to keep people in their uh, neighborhood. So as we grow, um, working towards anti-gentrification, essentially. It is a resolution. It's not a code change. It is a um, intention to do this work um, and for our partners to do this work. And there will be additional phases coming forward. But it was an important step. And in talking with our housing partners, um, like Tacoma Housing Authority, they really wanted to see the city name this. Um, you know, how are we supporting the What was the name that you, that you put toward it again? It's an anti-displacement and community prioritization resolution. Um, that gets to, you know, some of the reporting that Will James has done this week on mm-hmm. the Merkel Motel, Merkel Hotel, whatever, whatever it was. Um, and it really shook me, I have to say, mm-hmm. because so for those who don't know, um, this was a building that was redeveloped in 2018. Um, a lot of people tried to get support to these folks who are long-term tenants at this uh, residential hotel. Mm-hmm. KNKX reporter Will James caught up with, found 12 of them, and of those 12, um, about half had died due to complications that in some ways resulted from in unstable housing, and the others had gone through um, homelessness of, of some kind because there simply was no place to go for $400 a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really did shake me because I consider myself a Yimby, you know, yes, in my backyard, I could, you know, let's, let's grow, let's build new things. I consider myself pro growth. Like if that's the cost, mm-hmm. 
it just it just really hit me. I'm curious um, how what your take is on the on the, those series of stories. Yeah, and I would add one thing to what you said. A lot of people tried to get support for people. They did. They, they actually did. Absolutely. got actual dollars, <laughs> a huge amount of staffing support to help people find places. Um, and ultimately, as you said, I mean, just a tragic outcome that people have died since then, you know, in three short years, and um, that they found that they there weren't even options. So they were given tools and there weren't options. So I think, um, you know, the what one thing I can say three years later is that we have a lot more tools in place. Um, that doesn't mean that this doesn't happen probably all the time in the city, whether it's development or not. I know, right. you, you know, we know we can see that homelessness has become an even bigger challenge um, over the last three years. But there's a couple things that have happened um, that I think improve the sort of scope of where we are and what the potential is as we see more growth, right? We talked about passing home in Tacoma. That really is to encourage more housing being built. Um, and that doesn't always mean existing buildings. It, you know, it's new buildings too, but but this is, development's going to happen, right? So how can we avoid um displacing people. And in particular, I think that that area of very low income housing is such a huge need. Um, the state passed a, a number of laws this year that really support tenant protections. Um, they support just cause. And in September, we passed a new uh, rental code, Tacoma passed a new rental code to match the, the state provisions. So there's a lot of really good stuff in there that will help uh, support and, and protect tenants. Um, so I think that's a really important step. Um, we also have put forward um, with our federal dollars, the American Rescue Plan Act dollars, the city got $31 million this year. The county got significantly more because they got um, uh, the first round as well. So yeah. there's a lot of dollars at play, but I'll, I'll speak specifically to the, the city's $31 million. We put 34% of that towards homelessness and housing. So we're building up the amount of dollars available to build um, additional housing and specifically low-income and very low-income housing. So... Um, as you likely know, and listeners likely know, the council before me put to, uh, developed the housing affordable housing trust fund. So the city has this um, bucket of money for housing, um, and we did pass a sales tax to add to that. So there are more dollars in the bucket than there were, you know, even a year ago because of that. Uh, so that helps. Um, we also just recently uh, completed, we haven't seen the results of yet, a housing disparity study. So we can take a look at what we know exists, right? Like uh, like anything, the people that are impacted more by housing uh, risk, rental risk, about uh, housing displacement are our BIPOC community. So getting that study in place so that we can direct the dollars to the right place. You know, these are all pieces that are in place now that weren't. Um, and really focusing on that low income, low and very low income housing. You know, THA has built um, new facilities attached to a homeless shelter. 
um, since then. Uh, again, I'm not saying that like we've right. solved this. We know we haven't, but I I do think that we have um, have many more of the tools in place. Um, the other thing that I just wanted to highlight from that article that I think is really important is that our health department now, Tacoma and Pierce County Health Department, has been very vocal about housing as a health issue, and I think that that. Um, not to say that it, it you know, wasn't addressed before, but it seems that that piece of this work has come to the forefront, which opens up more dollars to, to direct towards this, this issue. And I think that article really showed um, in this a really very why, yeah. tangible way just what a health crisis uh, housing can be if it's, you know, if folks that are living in homelessness. Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, Yeah, all this to say uh, we haven't solved this yet. Uh, That is clear. Um, I thought that article was very, very well done and a very important one for everyone to read, but particularly those of us decision makers who are looking at um, new development all the time. And like you said, we want to see more development. I want to see more density. You know, these are these are the kind of things that I support. And so it's so important. As I said, you know, Home in Tacoma is the big body of work. But these other pieces, that anti-displacement resolution, the, the MFTE work, you know, all these other pieces fit together. Um, and not to mention, I guess, you know, I'll just dive right into the, all the work we're doing around homelessness. And one thing that I think that our team... Um, one of the many things that I think our team at the city does really well is addressing the the current emergency. We are standing up new shelters. We've stood up more shelter beds this year than we ever have before. But we never do that work independently of also building more affordable housing because the shelter bed is not the end of the – it shouldn't right. be the end of any story, right? right. So um, – We've had good success uh, with the tiny home villages uh, this year. Um, we've had a number of amazing local partners, churches, and nonprofits come forward and open up their spaces. Um, I did check the numbers this morning. We have 27 beds available today. So it and that wasn't the case six months ago. You know that number was at three or four or five. Um, so we're we're you're saying open ones. There's already ones being used on top of that. That's oh, not gosh, like the yeah, only yeah. beds no, in Tacoma. That, to be clear, <laughs> right? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And I don't actually know what that total number is, but uh, the rescue mission spoke at council on Tuesday as well, and I think they said something like a thousand um, just in their facility. So there there are many beds available. Obviously, it isn't enough, um, and we are bound by. Um, this, uh, we call it the Boise decision, but it's a Ninth Ninth Circuit court case that says we can't ask folks not to camp on public property if we don't have enough beds available. So the goal has always been to have enough beds available to house everyone that we know is uh, living on the streets, right? We have that point in time count. I guess I should not assume that folks know what that is, but the, the county's point in time count, while we know it's not a, it's an inaccurate number, right? Because it's one, it's a point in time. And it's also um, volunteers are talking to folks on the street and that's where the count comes from. So we right. know there's tons of other ways in which people are homeless. But if we could at least meet that goal of the number of beds matches the number of people we know to be on the street, then we can start looking at making, uh, you know, ask, uh, making it unlawful not to camp on public property. 
that gets me to something else that happened on Tuesday night. Some of mm-hmm. your colleagues brought forth uh, uh, an ordinance or a resolution. Mm-hmm. I'm not ordinance. sure. Ordinance. Mm-hmm. Um, to ban or criminalize, however you want to say it, camping on public property. Mm-hmm. Um, six, you and five others uh, voted that down and said that this should come back another time. Tell me more what what you were thinking. What's your what's your rationale? And tell me more about that. Yeah. So there's two things that happened on Tuesday. One is uh, very process oriented, and one is the content of the ordinance. So just to start with process, um, some of my colleagues brought forward a camping ban um, earlier in the year. I believe it was May, and we um, immediately voted to continue that ordinance or move it to a later date so we could do some work on it. Again, this this Ninth Circuit court decision, in my mind, is a big part of that. I, I don't actually think we can do what that ordinance says, um, but that was going to be part of the discussion. We continued it. We continued it again, and then we continued it again. So it kept coming back because once you continue an ordinance, you have to come back on the day that you said you would. Um, so that particular ordinance was continued four times. The last time it was sent back to committee to do the work. Okay. So it went to the Community Vitality and Safety Committee, CBS, um, led by Councilmember Ushka, and they had already had one meeting on it. They scheduled a public meeting uh, this past Monday night. Um, and the intention is that, and, and then there was an, another CBS meeting last night where there was public comment as well. So they're they're well into their process. The goal is to that they would come out with a new improved ordinance that we could um, get folks uh, a better place to stay. Part of the challenge is that. Um, well, let me finish the process piece, okay. and then I'll get into it. Okay. Anyway, so that's where we are in the ordinance. And what happened on Tuesday is that another uh, three colleagues, uh, McCarthy, Hunter, and Toms, brought forward a new ordinance in the middle of this process. Right. It is the same ordinance with a new name and a new number. So it's not in the process of that other one, but they said, we we want to call the vote. We want to do this thing. It's, you know— it, we're Just get, do it. We're getting hundreds and hundreds of, of emails of people asking for this. Let's do it. Um, and let's point out two of them are leaving council, so there yes. was probably some motivation of getting this done while they were still yes. on and council. An ordinance takes two Tuesdays, first and second reading. So last Tuesday was their last opportunity to get the vote while they were to still happen there. while they were still there. Got it. So that's the process piece of this. And um, on Tuesday, as the meeting started, um, Councilmember Ushka uh, called for that piece to be pulled off of the agenda. Um, and then uh, controversially, <laughs> she also uh, called for uh, a time limit on uh, comments. From the, is, from the council itself. From the council that, itself. That is a new one. Yeah. Um, so that... So that's what we voted on was actually the vote to pull it from the agenda. Right. So we haven't actually voted on the content yet, um, which, you know, ultimately, I guess, for the public is maybe neither here nor there. But I think it's important to say this was a very messy and terrible <laughs> combination of processes. And as you said, you know, the timing of people leaving, a lot of things uh, were made more Confusing the, so- the, sausage, for the public. <laughs> the sausage was getting made in public this <laughs> yes. time. Um, okay, so that's the process piece. 
the the actual content of the campaign ban, there there are a couple pieces. One is this legal piece um, that I feel like we actually don't have the authority to do this. The uh, the piece I think within that is that if we pass a campaign ban, ban if we make it illegal to camp in, in any place, whether we you know say only around parks or only around schools or some some version of it, the only mechanism to enforce a law in our city is the police. Yeah. And so we have continually said that we would like to um, work with our homeless population in a different way. And th- if we pass this camping ban, we don't have options. So um, I think the intention of some of my colleagues in this like revision of that is to say, how could we ask uh, folks to not camp in certain places, to have an eye out for um, sanitation, which, and I will say, uh, we have put uh, porta potties and, and hygiene stations in at a number of encampments to address this, um, which where they are is great, uh, but they can't be everywhere. We can't uh, sure. afford it. Um, but is there a way that we could... Um, work to get folks off of the street and into shelter without making it a criminal offense. Particularly, if you get a ticket for a criminal offense, then you owe money. And if you are someone living in homelessness, that does not help you get to the next stage, right? Right. It just adds to the problems. Right. Um, That piece is something I am particularly against is is actually the the criminalization piece of this um because i think that that just makes the problem worse yeah now i will say we have seen um encampments grow we have seen many uh challenges and frankly terrible living situations for the people that are in them um and we've got to address that you know that we're not that's not a space a, a safe and healthy place for someone to live when get back to the, you know, housing as a health health issue. Right. Um, but we also recognize the insufficiency of our shelter system, right? Not everyone's comfortable, um, in, a, any particular shelter. And, and one thing that we have done a great job of this year is expanding the types of shelter. So we now have a women's only shelter, at the rescue mission, and I toured it. It's it's a really nice space, and the staff there were incredible. Um, and it you know it's really designed with women in mind. There are some family spaces, not enough. Um, we now have one space uh, specifically for single men. We have um, one of the tiny home villages is uh, meant for couples and families. Um, so th- there are more options, right? So that that's super helpful. Yeah. But it also doesn't catch everyone. And I know, um, we know, staff knows, uh, not everyone accepts shelter. Not everyone wants to be in a congregate living situation. That doesn't work for everybody for many reasons. Um, pets are often a challenge, which can be such an important and valuable part of somebody's life. So we know we have a ways to go on that. But that is certainly the direction we're heading is having as many options excuse me, as possible for people um, so that we can find the right shelter situation. Yeah. Okay. So, it, you know, it's a complicated and complex issue. 
Um, I have a lot of faith in the CBS committee that they're going to come back with something that that makes sense um, for our city. And um, I also think that the, there, there are many, many nonprofits doing amazing work. Um, and I think uh, the, the Pierce County Coalition to End Homelessness is a group of these uh, nonprofits and agency partners that meet weekly. And a lot of the work that they're doing it, that's where we learn, you know, where what's possible and, and what these um, different options are. Um, Associated Ministries is one of the, the biggest groups that, that is supporting folks. And by the way, done an amazing job of distributing federal funds to support rental assistance, to keep people in their homes, which over the last 18, 20 months has just really been important. vital. Yeah. Um, they just combined with an organization called Shared Housing Services, um, I'm not going to speak for an organization, but the the goal is you may live in a home that's too big for your needs, but you don't want to leave your home. Could you rent out a room to someone? So essentially, again, we know it takes years to build new housing. We can't build fast enough. But how can we better use our, the existing stock oh, that's that really we have? So um, it, it, it does two things, right? It allows the person to stay in their home but adding a little bit of extra income right. in addition to opening up a, a lower income uh, space. Because that spare room might be uh, much cheaper than a yeah. single unit for someone. That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. So we can utilize what we already have. That's really smart. Yeah. So I'm really optimistic about that work and that, that they're doing, that Associated Ministries is doing. I think, um, you know, we wouldn't, we couldn't, the city yeah. couldn't and shouldn't be the only <laughs> provider here. Um, we have to support our our um, nonprofit and community partners. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And that was not all that you did at the Tuesday <laughs> meeting. Uh, we still want to talk about the new police chief and the climate action plan, but why don't we take a quick sponsor break and then we'll get to it when, when we come back. Great. This episode of Channel 253 is sponsored by Pacific Lutheran University. Most colleges raise tuition each year, but they don't increase their student scholarships or financial aid. That means that students and their families are often forced to pay upwards of ten dollars to $12,000 more than they expected. This can push families into financial hardship or force students to leave their university with debt and without a degree. At PLU, we're stopping that cycle. That's why our fixed tuition guarantee ensures that your cost of tuition will be locked in from your first day to your graduation day. Learn more at plu.edu tuition. Welcome back. Thank you to our sponsor and thank you to the members of Channel 253 who are keeping us going. I just saw in my journal that a year ago I was like building the Channel 253 Slack forum and uh, here it is a year later and it's still going strong. Lots of lots of people talking about the issues of Tacoma. If you want to be a part of that and support what we're doing, go to channel253.com slash membership. Thank you to our members. Thank you to our sponsor. And thank you to my guest, uh, Christina Walker, Tacoma City Council member. Um, Let's keep going with uh, our new police chief who's coming to us from Texas. Is that right? Yeah, Dallas, Texas. Yeah. So tell me more about, um, first of all, this this is a hire that was made by the city manager, Mm -hmm. but council gets to approve. We confirm the appointment. Confirm the appointment. And then that's reviewed every two years. Is that correct? Or is that only for the other department heads? That is a good question that I don't know the answer to because I'm just coming up on the end of my second year. You haven't haven't done the two-year thing yet. Uh, We do review city manager Polly's um, employment every two years. 
I that remember, I can confirm. <laughs> I remember uh, the TPU head is also every two years, but I, I didn't re- I didn't know if the uh, if this position was. But tell me more about uh, our new police chief in Tacoma. Yeah. So um, just uh, again to kind of review the process. Uh, last year uh, we looked for a new police chief and um, didn't find a candidate that we felt like was the best fit and hired um, Mike Akey as the interim police chief. Um, chief Akey was always meant to be interim. It, it's not because he did a bad job that he <laughs> that we are here today. That was always the intention. Um, and Chief Akey has done a really nice job of, of keeping things moving in a really, really tough time. We asked a lot of him um, to kind of keep things going and work on transformation um, as we looked for a new police chief. So this is the second process in two years, but that was um, by decision in the first process. Um, we, uh, we council were part of the process in an interview. We did actually some in-person interviews. We had um, three council members uh, and a candidate uh, at, at uh, City Hall doing interviews with the, with the candidates. And then they, the, all the candidates came to study session, so we did a public um, interview process. And then there was also a public in-person session at the convention center that evening. So it was a, a pretty robust, and I think there was also maybe something with directors in the middle there um, or with staff or something like that. A yeah. pretty robust process. Um, we worked with a firm who brought forward four really great candidates, um, and I think – um, I, you know, I'll speak only for myself, but felt like all four of them were great candidates and would bring something different but really valuable to the city. So um, it was a good slate. It didn't feel like, oh, you know, we have sort of – it didn't feel like there were slim pickings or something like that. We had really – we had great candidates. Um, and uh, now Chief Avery, he'll be sworn in in Janu- mid-January. Um but Chief Avery uh, really kind of won all of us over, and even in looking at the public comments, um, was really well liked by the public as well. Um, he's a very genuine person. You can tell he he cares a lot about what he does. He spoke very um, eloquently about why he wants to work in Tacoma, and um, part of that was because of what we're trying to do around transformation, and that to me was really a key. Um, that you know, it, this isn't just any old police chief position. We're we're making a lot of change. We're doing a lot of work, and you know, we are seeing crime numbers on the rise as as they are throughout the country. So you're walking into a position that's really challenging. You know, we're we're trying to make some changes um, while continuing to serve the community. So um, yeah, I'm I'm excited about him based on his resume and and the interviews and and the process and I honestly think that now a year later we are in a better place to make a hire as well. So I think it it was a good um a good transition in the in the process to kind of hold off and um he he's got his work cut out for him for sure. Um, but I think that um, he's ready for it, and, and I'm really looking forward to kind of settling in. I think, again, you know, Chief Aki was really in a tough position being interim, and I think because we've known it's sort of this interim situation um, that we haven't been able to settle in and, and work on um, the changes we want to make yeah. in, in the police department. Um, you and I talked at the, towards the beginning of the year about policing in Tacoma. Um and there's been a lot of different things that have come, you know, recommendations, uh, 
Is there anything that you just want to say, you know, update on, like things that have changed since then, uh, things that you're happy to have seen, places you want to see more work done that this uh, new police chief will be tackling as you see it? Yeah, I think um, one thing that I was particularly um, excited about that is moving forward is the divertible calls and this sort of, uh, it's not going to be a separate department, but a, um, a area of um, community safety where we're going to have um, unarmed officers responding to some calls. Um, so that work is well on its way. It's uh, going to take longer than I had hoped. <laughs> um, but we also, it's very, very important that we set up a process that works on the day that you call 911 with a particular issue. We want to send the right person out. Um, so a lot of work is still to be done working with the team at South Sound 911. Um, which actually most people don't know, but South Sound 911 is a, a board of elected officials. Um, and so we will appoint two, maybe it's one uh, council person and one alternate uh, to that board. And they will be a huge part of that discussion on how we, how do we make the decision based on the call. Um, and we have some uh, currently have some great mental health uh, professionals that, that are part of the police and the fire team. Um, and they do great work and they also want to feel safe and supported when they go out to call. So we, we have a lot of work to do uh, internally. Um, and I want to get that, that department or, you know, not department, but that I want that set up yesterday, right? I think that that is such an important step. Um, and we also know that the, you know, the wait times on 911 are too long right now. Um, we're hearing that pretty regularly, hmm. that people are frustrated with the amount of time it's taking. Um, so we've got to... We've got to figure some of those things out. So, but I am I am very glad that that's moving forward. And uh, although I know how frustrating it is for folks that really want to see this, it feels like nothing has happened. So much has happened. You know, the day we made that decision to um, put dollars towards this divertible calls, uh, work started happening. So, uh, that's great. I, I am looking forward to that to that work. Yeah. Um... Is there anything you want to say more about our, our new uh, Avery? Is that the? Yep, Avery yeah. Moore. Yeah. Um, I don't know him well yet, so I no, there's nothing else that I want to say at this point. I'm looking forward to working with him. Great. Um, and then during the break, you reminded me that the climate action plan was not actually passed this week. It was passed the week before. It's I guess it's the holiday blur. Yeah. I missed that. <laughs> but I think it's still really important to talk about. So Absolutely. Uh, what is, um, I know that there's like, <clears throat> 70 different recommendations. Mm -hmm. So without going through each of those, <laughs> what are we trying to do with our climate action plan? So um, our climate action plan is an update to our environmental action plan. Um, and one of the things that our environmental action plan team did originally that I think is really beautiful is they attached um, – <clears throat> metrics to every piece of that plan. And so that was one of the things that we requested moving forward. Um, and so that stays with the plan. There'll still be these really great benchmarks. Um, and they check in and do this great report every year. You can look at all of them online um, so far. And <clears throat> what they changed in this one, um, not only uh, adding like a greater sense of urgency, right? It, it's no longer an environmental action plan. It's a climate action plan. We have to take action immediately. 
Um, we also there's also a greater focus on equity and the people that climate change affects, rather than just the actions that save the trees, for example. But what do trees mean to you and where you live in this city? Health impacts. I mean, this right. is another thing where we have long talked about it as a save the salmon, save the trees, save the orcas, which are important, um, but. The reason we do that is because it impacts people uh, and the, the, the people of this community. So they did um, much more outreach uh, this iteration. They did um, they had a, actually an equity focus group. Um, and I think the outcome is a lot stronger plan. Um, and I don't know if I can say this with confidence, but I think a much more expensive plan. <laughs> <laughs> it looked um, expensive, judging by that, the news article I read about it. But one of the things that staff did really beautifully when they presented it to us was to say, yes, this is a multi-billion dollar plan, but the cost of inaction is many more billion. Right. Um, I believe that the plan, it, I'm going to be quoted on this, and I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's a $3 billion plan, and the cost of inaction is almost $6 billion. I think it was so over 6 or something There's like a that, very yeah. clear um, connection and reason to do this. Um, so the other thing that they did with the plan um, when they brought it forward was to have these low-hanging fruit that we could pay for right now. And so there are a number of like 10, 20, 30, $40,000 projects that we actually were able to fund through our mid-biennium budget process, okay. um, which also happened in the last couple of weeks, <laughs> um, in addition to some of those federal dollars being dedicated to it. So um, one thing that I sponsored last year was our decarbonization bill and uh, we had funded the first step in that decarb bill, knowing that there were three more steps that we weren't sure where we were going to find the dollars. The second step was funded through a grant, and the third step went into this um, uh, this plan now. So we'll move forward on this uh, study around uh, what it means to decarbonize all our buildings um, and <clears throat> maybe even require new buildings to be all electric. Um, so that's, you know, an example of one of those smaller pieces. Um, I, as you know, am really passionate about multimodal transportation. That plays a big part in the Climate Action Plan um, because we know transportation emissions make up such a big part of yeah. our um, greenhouse gas. Um, so there is, uh, I think, now I'm not remembering, you know, it's one of those twenty dollars or $30,000 studies that get us started down a, um, the path for the next uh next big thing. So there's a couple of those little ones that just get us started in the right direction. Um, for the multimodal uh, transportation piece, um, we need we need to increase our investment sixfold to actually meet our goals. I mean, we're woefully underfunded um, around multimodal transportation. So um, but this climate or this plan, the climate action plan um, sets sets out those goals. We're going to build it out um, by 2050. Um, we're going to reduce our emissions by 2050. You know, all those pieces, it, it, it puts out a plan with the actual steps that it takes to get there and when we're going to get to them. We don't know where we're going to find the money at this point, but I will say that um, the federal government is investing in these types of projects really heavily right now, and right. this plan puts us in a really good place for that. That's great. So I, uh, there are so many things. I'm so impressed with the staff 
um, both in the transportation um, sector, but also the Office of Environmental Policy and Sustainability, where they've really set us up for these grant opportunities. So when they come out from the federal government, we are on it. Um, we really have a great team that's leveraging those dollars. And those ARPA dollars, the, the federal funding this year has really given us an opportunity to do grant dollars or match dollars and things like that. And just a note, because I mentioned the ARPA dollars many times, we did $31 million in 2021. There's another $31 million in 2022. So coming soon, a discussion about how we um, spend those last ones. I imagine we'll continue to focus on housing and homelessness. I imagine we'll keep, you know, similar sort of buckets of funding, but there's still opportunities for some of those projects if, if – um, members of the community want to weigh in on That's where great. we spend those. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, transportation, which I since ever since I've known you has been one of uh, the the things you've most most cared about. And mm-hmm. you're on like every transit board that exists and probably some that don't, <laughs> right? Uh, Pierce Transit, Sound yeah. Transit. Uh, yeah, I just joined the Sound Transit board, so I'm brand new there. Um, but yeah, serving on Pierce Transit, Sound Transit, and the Puget Sound Regional Council's Transportation Policy Board. <laughs> Wow. The PSRC TPB. That is a real acronym there. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, and What's happening with transit right now? Yeah, so the regional board, the Transportation Policy Board, uh, we just voted this week to send the um, big regional plan, transportation plan 2050, to the public for public comment. So um, really encourage folks to um, comment on that. One of the things that's so hard about these public processes is that regional plan is pretty uninteresting to most people. Um, So it's so valuable to have people, local people, sit on those uh, big boards because it really impacts how the money filters down. Um, And I served on the Project Selection Task Force uh, Committee on that same board, add that acronym in, this year, which was tedious work in figuring out how we divide up the dollars that come through PSRC. But it's so important that we're keeping an eye out on that so that we, um, you know, the larger county to the north has some pretty good influence on these things. And we need to make sure that we get those dollars here in Pierce County. And of course, I'm always working to get those dollars here in Tacoma. But setting us up for success again with those grant match dollars. Um, these so these are federal dollars that come through the regional council through um, to the county. So then we have a P- uh, Pierce County Regional Council (PCRC) that makes the decision about where it goes in the city. We've got to be ready at the city with the project to um, use those dollars. So so the idea of this is. Even though we're a bunch of different counties and jurisdictions, we need to be thinking about transit especially, but just planning as a single Puget Sound region, basically. Yeah. Um, and so that, that's why the money's filtering through there. And then hopefully, if we have a plan that is that the whole region adopts at the PSR da, 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 yeah. level, <laughs> that then everything else fits into that. So we all know that we're, we're building towards the same goal. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's definitely accurate. And one of my jobs on both of those regional committees is to think regionally, um, but also keep an eye out for Tacoma and how we're getting here. Um, The trail project that I've worked on the last couple of years, the Tacoma to Puyallup Trail Project, will connect us to 
the major trail system in King County. And so the, thinking the inner about urban the, and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah. So there, there's a little spur that um, makes sure that that's connected. So, you know, transportation, whether it's a car, whether it's freight, whether it's bikes or pedestrians or transit, um, doesn't think around jurisdictional lines. That's right. stating the obvious. But that's how we think about all these dollars and all these projects. So these regional seats are so important. And um, speaking specifically to transit, um, the light rail is coming to Tacoma. And, you know, we've been talking about this for decades. How do we finally get it here? And so this is just a crucial time for regional transit um, and making sure that uh, we have uh, voices at the table. We will make a decision on the alignment of Tacoma Dome Link Extension uh, next summer. Um, the with their environmental impact statement, you know, so all these big big picture things that are happening uh, next Thursday, we'll make a decision on where the operation and maintenance facility goes up in Federal Way, um, and once that decision is made, then we can start to move down uh, towards Tacoma. So it's so connected, and um, I have I, I will mention one other <laughs> acronym board that I serve on is the National League of Cities Transportation, and so looking at things from a federal level, I got to help write some policy for that group this year on Vision Zero, so zero traffic deaths, um, which Tacoma has adopted this policy. But to look at it at a national level, Secretary Buttigieg has put money into the federal budget that or the infrastructure package that passed. We are set up and ready to go for that money because I, I've been tracking it because city staff has been developing the program. So these pieces fit together wow. in a way that I didn't realize before I served on council. And I know it's you know probably not interesting <laughs> to listeners to hear all these pieces. But what I always say is like, I want you to know that I'm looking out for these bigger picture things and they are going to impact your neighborhood eventually. It's just going to be years down the road and having right. the local plan in place while the national plan gets figured out is is vital. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been a really nice mix of uh, wonky conversation and debriefing on what just happened uh, at the city council. What are you looking forward to in 2022? Well, I think the the big change obviously is three new council members, and so um, and that's uh, Rumba, Bushnell, um, Bushnell, and, and Daniels. Uh, Daniels. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know that transition. This will be the first transition that I've sat in this seat and not been the new council member. Right. So I'm excited to get them on board and sort of resettle with the new. Council, um, the home in Tacoma work is is really top of mind. I can't wait to dig into that work. Um, and then, obviously, I'm going to continue um, pushing for and promoting multimodal transportation. That the you know the next phase of Vision Zero and uh, supporting speed limit reductions within the city. That's always going to be um, part of. What I want to work on, um, but there, you know, there's tons of great stuff happening, and I think we have this huge opportunity with the ARPA dollars to invest in those things that we couldn't quite get there um, before in terms of affordable housing. Um, and I serve on the Joint Municipal Action Committee, which is all the representatives from all the elected bodies, and I just think there's so much potential with all of us working together with this new influx of dollars that's coming. So I'm that's what I'm most excited about I think is the the collaborative work between between agencies within in the city but regionally as well. Yeah. So All right. Well, thank you Councilmember Walker for taking Thanks the for time to me. explain all this stuff to us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. 
Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. Citizen Tacoma is part of the Channel 253 podcast network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Are Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Crossing Division, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.